You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Testimony, I mean, you hear it used in a lot of other ways. It's how you tell the truth about what happened. And for us, when we talk about testimonies in church, we're often talking about testimonies of how God saved us. The life we were in before, whatever we were caught up in, whether it be sin or pain or shame, whatever it was, and then the moment that the light came on and we saw Jesus and our hearts were changed. And everybody who has been saved has a testimony of how God has changed them. It's, it's great to hear that, and I think we should share that often. But I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this passage this morning, that the reason I, I got really excited when we were talking about going through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, specifically about this passage. I was like, in the leaders meeting, I'm like, uh, can I call dibs on that one? Uh, because this is a part of my testimony. But not my testimony of how the Lord saved me necessarily, but how the Lord began to arrange me and compose this body and make me a part of a, a body part in a, in a body of Christ. And I, I thought about that. I was like, you know, as much as everybody here in church this morning has a testimony of how the Lord rescued them from darkness into light. We all have a story of how God brought us into his people, how God has used us. And it's not just like, oh, I looked this church up on Google and saw it had some good reviews and like I I came there. It's It's much deeper than that, how the Lord has worked in your heart to bring you to this moment to equip you with the gifts, to bring you into the lives of people that he has, to use you for the reasons he has. We all have a story like that, a testimony of how God has done that. This this passage, like I said, has been incredibly impactful on my testimony. I'll share some personally this morning about that. I, I pray that as we jump into this passage, that it would be as impactful for you as it has been for me. So, Join me in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. While you're turning there, um, the only point of context I really want to remind us of this morning before we jump in, in a, the thing, something to remember that we've already learned about uh, through the other couple sermons is that there's a bunch of division going, here, going on here in, first, in, uh, in the church at Corinth when Paul writes this letter. And in chapter 1, verse 10, it says this. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you, uh, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So, because it, it says in verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And there's a lot of quarreling going on in this church. A lot of different things that they're not unified about. I mean... There's legal trouble going on. They're taking each other to court. There's uh, divisions in families going on. A lot of people are saying, this is my right. I want to hold to it. And, and trying, to, try, trying to elevate themselves over other people. We even see in chapter 11, there's division over how they're taking communion. So much so that people are dying. There's tons of division in this church. But he chooses to use this body metaphor. He holds it back. He doesn't share it in any of those circumstances. He chooses to use it right here in, verses, in chapter 12 as he enters into his discussion about the gifts. So it should kind of put into context how much division there was over the topic of gifts. 
And we're, we're exploring that. Like we've made that pretty explicitly clear that we're exploring the topic of gifts as we're going through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And so it's important for us as we look at this to think, how might God use this metaphor to unite us in this time? So that's one point of context I wanted to share before we jump in. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. Let's read that before we, uh, we move on to the rest of the body metaphor. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Before we get into the how Paul uses this body metaphor, I think there's a couple really important ideas we need we need to hold on to before we understand really how this picture relates to our church. Something that actually just struck me this morning while I was in Sunday school with the youth is this word members. The, the body members. Uh, when we think about membership, you think about maybe you're a member of, like, at Costco. <laughs> or maybe you're a member, I don't know that there's a bunch of country club members in uh, Warsaw. I know a few, a few people who are members at the golf club or you're members of a club, members of some group that meets. And by being a member of that group, you get all these special privileges. You kind of pay in and you, you come and you get all these special privileges to be a part of that group. And that's definitely not what the word member here means. Church is not, church membership is not about you joining like a country club. Like you shouldn't think about all the benefits. You, like, oh, I've chose this church because they have the best sounding songs, and I really like their pews, and man, I really get excited. What, what an, a, uh, an exciting sermon that was. Oh my goodness. Uh, they do all these really fun activities. Man, I'm really getting served well as a member of this club. That's not what, that is not what Paul means about membership here at all. It's kind of the opposite almost. As a, a member, you're a body part. So by joining the body, you've automatically got a lot of work to do to serve the rest of the body, to make sure it works well. It's the opposite. As a member of a church, you're joining to see how you can benefit everybody else, not the benefits you can get from everybody else. That, that word member needs to be defined before we jump into this picture. It talks about one, many, one, many again, right? There's one, the body is one, there's many members. All the members of the body, though many, are one body. Paul has repeated himself twice, and we're in one verse in. And he goes on many more times to talk about that one, that many. And we've heard that consistently as we've been in chapter 12. One, many, one, many, variety, same. Those, those concepts are all over. He's very intentionally repeating them a lot. There's one, there's many. So what is the many? What is the variety that we're supposed to see in the church? What is the, I want to talk about specific, because it's not, it's not all types of variety. It's, there's, there, he's talking about variety that we should see um, in a specific way. He says, uh, a few that he mentions in uh, verse 13, he says there's Jews or Greeks. 
so that we should have some racial diversity in the church. That's a good thing. Slave or free. Status in society. There should be a bunch of different type of people. If you have only white collar or blue collar people in the church, that's probably not a good thing. You need some variety. God has called both. It goes on like Larry talked about. Pause here. If you didn't hear Larry's sermon two weeks ago, I'm not going to be able to address everything that he did, but it, was, it, was, it served me a lot. Thank you, Larry, for, for sharing in that way. Um, and I'll reference it a few times. So if you haven't heard his, I'd kind of go back and watch the prequel or listen to the, that before you hear this because it may not make a ton of sense, uh, everything I'm talking about. So highly commend that. Um, but there's a lot of different gifts that the Lord wants to see variety in. And then it talks about in verses 22 and 23, it says, on the, the, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker or on the parts of the body that we think, le- that we think less honorable or are unpresentable parts. These are subjective terms. They're ways that we look at people and say like, eh, they're not really, mm, like the, the type of people that we're uncomfortable with. The, these subject- subjective categories we kind of file people into. Like, I, being in student ministry, I think of categories people get filed into off, and it's like, okay, we've got my homeschoolers, I got my my private schoolers, I got my public schoolers, you know. But that all there's there's all these. I'm not gonna sub- say, oh man, those public schoolers, whew, man, uh, they were gonna put them kind of over to the side. They're unpresentable. I really like these private and homeschoolers, or vice versa. Like those, uh, I, as a homeschooler, you know, often we get categorized as the socially awkward ones. But you know, uh, these. These, these subjective categories. Paul says, let's, let's see a lot of those. Let's, let's celebrate that variety. And we'll talk about that. As, that's what the whole passage is about. It's about how important our variety is. is. So I definitely am going to spend time focusing on how we should celebrate that. But before we get to celebrating the variety, I want to note that he is not talking about variety on one thing. Because in order to be varied and unified at the same time, we have to have something we're actually unified on. Like that we're not different, but we're really the same on. It says, so it is with Christ. Our unity has to be in Christ. I hear something often popular with college students, specifically like Grace College students a lot, just because we talk about theology so much in all of the classes there that people begin to say something like, uh, doctrine or what we believe about God like, when you start categorizing that, all that is is meant to divide us. It's meant to separate us. And I'd argue that's absolutely not true. That's the opposite of what doctrine should be. As we learn more about God together, we should seek to be as unified as we can be on the thing we're supposed to be unified in. We need to, we need to make that highly important. That's what we have unity in. Theology, doctrine, studying God should be so that we learn more about God and who he is together and that we have a more similar picture of who he is. Let's seek to be as un- as much as we are going to talk about celebrating variety and we should celebrate it hardcore. We've got to be super stoked about the same unity we have. Like unity has got to be prominent like be as unified as you can be on the thing we're unified about and i would say this too this is a real idea we need to have in our minds as we approach this passage that because the gospel the gospel is implied in 
in the way our church, like the way the church is built up. As when you look around in the way we interact with one another on a daily basis, that what Jesus has done has got to be important to you. And I would argue if, if the church is not important to you, you probably don't have a good picture or a full picture of the gospel. It's, it's that, it's, it's a really, it's a, a way to diagnose your heart. As being the importance of your commitment to the church should reflect your commitment and your understanding of what Jesus has done for you. And I, I say that because I think about Acts 20 when Paul is commending the Ephesian elders. He says, take care of the flock which Christ bought with his own blood. So as we look around, we understand with ourselves, we, once we understand that, that Jesus' blood has covered you and cleansed you of your sin, and that it, it washes you to live this new life, empowers you to live a new life with God, reunites you and works back the curse in your life, and what a great sacrifice it was that Christ gave to save you. As you look across the crowd, you see other people here, as you look in your own life, not just in the Sunday morning, as you see people in your life, you understand the value of the blood that has been shed for them. And that gives each and every member of the body of Christ a huge value. So we got to understand the value of Christ's blood in his church. And a passage that always comes to my mind when talking about the value of the church is John 17. As Jesus is praying before the garden, he says that the, he, he prays for us who would believe in him, that we would all be one. Why does he pray it? He says, so that the world will know that I was sent from the Father and that he has loved them even as he has loved me. So by being one together, the world should see, wow, what they're saying is true. Jesus has to be from God. That unity is supernatural. It's divine. That is so powerful. And they should recognize, yeah, that's, that's, that is absolutely true. Our witness as a, how we interact with each other, our unity with each other should proclaim how true the message of the gospel is. And that we are loved by God. That this love that we share with one another is a love that is from God. That he has loved us even as he loved his own son, Jesus. Should be very powerful. And that ongoing, look at, look at verse 27. It says, now you are, body, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're the representation of Jesus to the world. The ongoing mission of the gospel goes forth through the people of God. So in order to care a, a dime about the community and our unity and the body metaphor we're about to look at, you've really got to care about the gospel. And the more you look at the gospel, the more you should care about this, the, the community of God, the body that we look at here. So that's, those are the, the guiding ideas. We got unity, we got variety, we got the gospel at the heart of it all. Let's jump into this body metaphor. Verse 14 through 20 says this. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Boy, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose them. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It's a real simple picture. I think it's awesome this is a fifth Sunday because I think it's a really simple picture we can all understand. Think with me about Mr. Ear for a second, okay? Mr. Ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body. He, why, why might he think that? What might his confusion be? Why might he want, be, want to be excluding himself from the body? Could it be that he doesn't really know what an ear is? He doesn't know the way he's supposed to be. It's, he just doesn't know. He doesn't know the way he's supposed to be serving the, the rest of the body. He sees the eye all the time, and the eye gets a lot of attention. You know, whenever his whole body goes on a date, somebody looks across and says, man, you have beautiful eyes, but never says anything about the ear. <laughs> he's getting totally ignored. Uh, so he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't understand what it even means like to be an ear. It's really not that important. So... He's not really, he doesn't even feel like a part of the body. I think we can relate with that a little bit, right? Like, maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, I understand the gospel. I understand the body is important. Man, I really want to be serving and using my gifts. What is my gift? I don't know. This is, again, where I'm going to point back to Larry's sermon. He talked a lot about that, but what... Involvement in other people's lives and looking at where God is using you. How, is, how have you seen Jesus use you? How have you seen Jesus be glorified in your life? That might be the gift that God has given you. That might be the way that God is most prominently using you. Think back through your life and think about that. Ask If you can't remember that, ask your parents. Ask your friends. Ask your life group. Say, where do you think God might be using you? Look for opportunities. Where is God presenting me with opportunity? These are all good ways of trying to understand how to function as the ear. How God might be using you. So you might not know, or you might not know where. You might say, okay, I really feel like I'm, a, I'm supposed to be functioning as an ear, but our church doesn't really have ear things to do. So I don't know if I'm supposed to be functioning at all. <laughs> When we talk about not having ear things to do, you're usually talking about like the formal things in your bulletin, the schedule that we present to you, either Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or these special activities. And yeah, those are awesome ways to use your gifts. Absolutely. But those are not the only ways to use your gifts. That's, it, your gifts that God has given you, believe it or not, are more than just for church scheduled events. They're for your life and your day-to-day -day life as you interact with other believers, and they should be used in those ways. So broaden your mind. Say, where in my life can God be using the gifts that he's given me to use it? Not, not just in the, the church walls. I think about, I didn't tell him I was going to give him a shout-out. I think about Toby. I think about uh, the 
the sons and daughters concert. Anybody go to that? That was, that was an awesome thing. But I think about Braise the Dough. You know, our church didn't have a formal ministry to adopted people. And he's an active part of our church. But he said, I feel burdened for these people. And he, he, started, he started serving them in the ways that he felt God using it. And it became a really awesome ministry that has served a number of families in our own church. And that wasn't because of a formal church assigned thing. That was because God had stirred something in him to have a love for, for children without parents. And that, that God is being glorified in awesome ways through that. And God has gifts like that for you that may not fit within these four walls all the time. And you should be actively seeking to learn ways to use those gifts. So don't count yourself out because you don't know. But maybe the ear is counting himself out because he is jealous or he feels like being an ear is below him. I'm not really an ear type of guy. I'm, I'm, I got more eye type things that I need to be worried about here, okay? I'm, I'm more of a visionary. I, listening to people is not really my thing. That's kind of below, like, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more qualified than just an ear. That you might feel like your, your gift is kind of dishonorable or shameful even in some ways. I, I actually relate with this. I really relate with this one because uh, I feel like I've been gifted in teaching. You can debate about that in their car on the way home. <laughs> but, but there was a time in my life where I was at another church serving there, and they asked me to be teaching at this church plant on a, on a weekly basis. And the group of people that I was hanging out with, they were talking about churches like, oh man, it's, we got to stop focusing so much on Sunday mornings. It's just a presentation. It's just a show. I, like, I'm getting really tired of, of like, the, the, the focus of just one guy and everybody else not doing stuff. And I was thinking, man, yeah, I don't really, like, there's too many people that want to be teachers. I, that's not even really that important. I'll let somebody else take that one because I don't, I don't want to be used that way. I, I feel like that's just that's, which might seem funny because I think teaching may be one of the gifts that in our church that we find most prominent and most glorified a lot of times. But in this circumstance, it wasn't. So I would take it and I'd try to throw it away as hard as I could. Um, and there was even one morning, and I'm not proud of this, where I went into a Sunday morning so apathetic that I was like, I gave like probably 30 minutes of preparation to it. And I said, this is going to bomb and maybe they'll stop asking me to teach because I really don't want to be doing this. So I got up and I taught. And then the worship leader comes up afterwards with tears in his eyes, just clearly moved by God. And he's like, thanks, I really heard the Lord speak to you today. And I'm like, man, this thing is a boomerang. I can't get rid of it. I don't want this. But it kept on coming back to me. Even I've had struggles at times thinking about my role here. There's a million teachers, you know, we fill out, you know, the, the, the classrooms over here, and I know there's a bunch of people that would be happy to get up and, and to teach, and I, I have other ways that I'm serving and that, that I feel important sometimes, but you know what? I've learned to love my gift because I know that I can see the Lord using it to build up his body, and I love the, my gift not because it brings me glory or because it's the thing that fits me. It's because I love Jesus and I love you. Um, and so, so maybe your gift may not be the thing that you necessarily want to do, but your focus is on the wrong thing, if that's, that's what you're thinking about. Think about the people 
here in this body of believers that you love and think about how much they need you. It, even it says in verse 22, on contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And if you in your mind are per- considering your role to be weaker and to be more, more worthless or not really important, stop right there. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That means if we take them out, we die. <laughs> we need them. We absolutely positively need you to serve in those ways. Don't try to, if you, if you care about the health of our church and us looking like Jesus accurately, think about this. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, God arranged the, the members in the body, each one as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Embrace the variety that God has given you. And I see this often. I see this often, especially among my peers, where we feel like Mark Dever has this really interesting picture in his book, What is a Healthy Church, where he talks about the hand family. And the hand family goes to church, and they, they go in to tell their pastor, actually, we're considering moving to this more hand-centered church. There are really a lot of other hands there, and we feel a lot more comfortable serving. There's a lot more opportunities ready for us because we're hand people. So we're going to go to a hand church. And we think that they, they, they try to find more similar body parts to how they are gifted. And if you look at our church and you might feel like the hand family, like, man, I don't know if this church really fits me because there's no way, they're, we're not, they're not really not serving people in the way that I like to serve. God's probably convicting you. God, the Spirit is probably speaking to you in that moment saying, there's a reason I'm showing you this lack right now. I want you to make this body look like me in this way. I want you to serve in this way. Because if we lose all of our hands to the hand church down the road, we don't look like the body. And we have to have this theology that God has arranged us. He has, he has put you where you're at for a reason. And what's, what, how has he put you here and where might he be wanting to use you? Do not count yourself out of using your gifts here. All right, second part of this body metaphor, verses 21 to 26, 27, sorry, says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we just bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, we are, treat, are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So, you get this picture in this passage, not just of body parts excluding themselves, but body parts excluding other parts. And that should cause your stomach to get a little queasy to think about. Could you imagine if the, the body of 
Christ, that it's a community that's supposed to be marked by the grace of God, opposed to being exclusive? Shouldn't that make you, you queasy a little bit? I, I get to deal with a lot of unpresentable parts in student ministry. I'd say there's probably a higher percentage of annoying people below the age of 18 in the church than there are above it. I love them. They know that. I, I, I love you all dearly. I'm not calling you annoying. I, you know I love you. But, but there's times where people just are like, oh, my gosh, this, like, I don't want to be around this one person because they are just like, they, they talk too much or they're, they're annoying, they bother me. That happens a lot in student ministry. It's really not a joke at all. Uh, again, I was on a youth trip one time. We went to the Rocky Mountains, and we went on a hiking trip. I'm like, man, how is this going to turn back to relating about Jesus? I don't know. But we, we go on this hiking trip in the Rocky Mountains, and um, I'm in a hiking group, and there's one kid in the group that is slower than the rest. He doesn't, he's really in bad physical shape. And so, like, every 45 seconds, we're having to stop and answer this kid. And it just keeps going on and on, resting and resting and resting. And I'm like, come on, Jack. You got you to gotta keep going, buddy. You got to keep moving. You got to keep moving. And he's just exhausted, sweating. I got to take a break. And the kids are sitting over there like, oh, my goodness. We have the slowest hiking group. Oh, just so frustrated. So we get to the top of the glacier, all the hiking groups meet together and we eat lunch together and then since we're all together as a group now we all start kind of heading down as a group and the groups kind of dissolve and it turns into this one big blob moving down the mountain at a normal pace and there's one kid that's not moving at a normal pace it's Zach so me and Zach are back behind the group and the night before I had talked to the guys in my tent I said which of the guys and in camp do we feel like we really needs to know the love of Christ. Like, what are you doing here? Why does God have you here? And every one of them are like, man, I really feel this big heart for Zach. Oh, I just really want to show him some love this week. But we're walking down the mountain for a couple hours, and it's me and Zach, and he keeps on saying, why do you think everybody left me? Why did everybody exclude me? And I get to the bottom of the mountain. I go to those guys. I literally, there's a woodshed there. I take them behind the woodshed. (laughs) I'm like, are you serious? Like, now can you imagine being that excluded where nobody cared? They just, and they said, well, we didn't realize it. And I said, that's the bad thing, isn't it? He was, you said that you so desperately wanted to reach this person, but you didn't even realize you were just leaving him behind. Man, let that not be true of us as a church. Would we be passionately pursuing those people that are so easy to be left behind? The way I like to say it, church is for losers. Like, Jesus came for the sick. Not the healthy. He came for people who recognize there is something wrong in my life and I need a change. And that he, he is the change. He's the, but the, the, those who think that they are too good, that they don't need any sort of savior, they're not going to come to Jesus. They're not going to live a life of need for Jesus. You have to be broken before you're fixed, right? And so all, 
the people of in this room, I'm sure there's many people that are not accepted in the rest of the world. And they should feel very accepted here. Because Jesus has loved them just like he's loved everybody else here. And we should not think of ourselves as greater than anybody else. How, how messed up would that be? We're, it's like we're the people outside of these walls. Grace is an equal playing field for everybody. We all need it desperately. So let's not let that be true. How do we not let that be true? Let's look at what the passage said. Let's be the opposite of that. Let's, as a church, commit to being the opposite of that. How are we going to do that together? It says that, on the contrary, verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So again, having this view of we will not be able to survive your spiritual health, our spiritual health as a community is interdependent on one another. God did not make us as believers to function alone, but to function together. And if anyone's isolated from each other, and from the community of God, as a believer, the community is going to suffer and the individual is going to suffer because we are vital organs to each other. We have to think about each other as indispensable. Secondly, it says, on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Or that kind of the idea there is greater presentability. They should be the, the ones considered that we, that we most eagerly try to present, the ones that are less presentable. What does that look like? You know, it's funny. It's not, I mean, it's not really that funny, but uh, before Ed Tooney passed, how many times was he mentioned from the pulpit? <laughs> you know? Not very many, but how many weeks since have we talked about him? A lot. Ed was kind of one of those unpresentable parts. He was doing things that nobody really noticed or thought to do, and he's serving our families in that way. And how much honor has he received since his passing? Loads. That we should be drawing. You know what? It's easy for me to be recognized as somebody who's often up front. You know, how many times do you see a slide up there that says, if you have any questions, contact Jake Osborne. It's really easy for me to be recognized. It's not really as important for me to be drawn special attention to. But those people who are serving and using the gifts that the Lord has given them in unseen ways, we should seek to see them. And it's not like this vain thing of just, um, of just filling people's heads with you know, self-confidence or whatever. It's so that we recognize how God is moving in every way. Not everybody automatically gets presented. We have to see, we have to be on the lookout for how God is using our brothers and sisters in a variety of different ways. You know, I was talking with a friend this week, and he said, one of the most lonely times I've had at church is at the members meeting. I, I was looking around for somebody to talk with, and I, it was, it was kind of hard. It was a little awkward. And I was like, that's really funny because I've heard on a number of occasions people saying, man, I love this family. I am so blessed by how this family works. I'm just so encouraged by this family. And he had a hard time connecting with people. But it's not that we're not recognizing what God's doing. It's that we're not honoring and presenting it. So 
As you see God working in people's lives, tell them. To not only tell them, but tell other people. Because we need to be seeing how God is working. I love it when we do like the videos up here so that people who might not always have attention get attention. And think about the types of people we might be more prone to shy away from giving attention. Think about the children, the teens. Think about the, the college students, the singles. Think about the elderly. Think about those with gifts we might not be as comfortable with. Those are the people we need to be very specific and drawing attention to because they're the ones we're going to tend to shy away from, from the most. Think, think about that um, as, you're, as you're thinking about how can we be the opposite of this exclusive, you know, body of Christ. Let's be as, as honoring and inclusive and celebrating of the different body parts that God has given us. And that variety is variety that Jesus will get glory for. I mean, when you see Revelation in chapter, Revelations chapter 7, what does the Apostle John notice about the multitude? That there's some from every tribe and tongue and nation. This variety is very glorifying to God. This variety that is somehow unified in, in Christ. I want to give a couple closing thoughts as we, as we, as we close this morning. Um, I think as we approach the topic of gifts, we need to be very mindful of this thought on unity because there's some things that we're more comfortable with than others. However, it says that we should not be excluding people based on their gifts right here in this passage. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, that's, that's kind of a problem. We want the body to function using the gifts. And if we exclude people or they, we tell people, we don't need you, please stop. Or if those people feel self-conscious because they understand there's people like that that think they don't need them. And so they exclude themselves. There's no place for me here. We're not going to be accurately presenting the body of Christ. That's why we're going... That's why we're seeking to be built up by the gifts in this way. We really need to have that in mind as we're approaching this topic. Secondly, using gifts in each other's lives, this should go without saying, doesn't come from superficial relationships. At the, at the most context you have with people is sitting next to them in service and knowing where they sit and giving them an occasional handshake. You're not going to have opportunities to use your gifts. It, you have to get into people's lives. It's got to be real relationships. You got to really know, know people and and love people and have this connection with people. It's not a superficial thing. And Christ has shown in like these actual, real, powerful relationships. So powerful they look divine from the outside. If you remember John 17, and the Lord gives us a, the the Spirit and the power to do that. We all drink of that one Spirit. We all have that same Savior. And despite our differences, we can't have these really unified, miraculous relationships. And then a final thing I just want to reemphasize again is that you cannot care about the body being built up if you don't care about Jesus. Let's keep seeking him together. Let's keep making him the focus of all of our time together. That as you meet in your life group, as you meet with your friends, as you meet with, if you come on Sunday morning, as we worship, that we are just focused on 
that powerful blood that has washed us all. And we enjoy that together. I hear you sing and I think, man, I'm so glad to hear so-and-so or see so-and-so worshiping this morning because I know they're covered by the blood. That's precious. That's precious for me to remember. And for as we, as we open God's word together, we remember primarily this is God's continued work that he has called us to and he's empowering us to by his spirit. That the gospel is the reason we're together. Christ is the object of our unity together. Let me pray and we can, we can close.